Hey guys, it's David here from the future, or just after this was recorded. I uh, just wanted to come in here and let you guys know that there is a different format that we're doing for this week's podcast, where we're going to be talking about the book and movie non-spoilers, and then transition later into spoilers. So just wanted to give you a heads up before the new format, and let us know what you guys think of it. But I hope you enjoy the show. Also, I hope this uh, suffices for your your quirky cold open. Hey everyone, welcome to Adaptive for Your Viewing. My name is David, and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda, and I read too many books. We are brother and sister, and this is our podcast for nerds, where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on, and tell you which one is worth consuming. Yep, and today we will be talking about Misery, including the 1987 book by Stephen King and the 1990 film directed by Rob Reiner. Don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here, and you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. So if you are unfamiliar, don't worry. We'll be doing a spoiler-free chat for the first half of our episode. And if you are familiar or you don't really care about spoilers for this, what is it, a 30-year-old movie, um, yeah. then stick around. And uh, you'll be able to hear our our fully spoilered talk at the about the halfway point in our episode. I just realized that 1990 was 30 years ago, and I am blown away right now. Yeah, dude, uh, I'm 88, so that means this gal's over 30. This is the craziest. I don't know how <laughs> that didn't connect with me that the 90s was 30 years ago. Okay, let's continue. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Are you having an existential crisis right now because of yeah, the date of Yeah, let's take movie? a pause. Yeah, no, let's go. Let's take a pause and think about what we were doing in 1990. When I think of old movies, I just think of movies in like <laughs> the 70s and the 60s. Now movies in the 90s are old movies and that blows my mind. I guess. I I don't necessarily think th- of this as being an old movie though. An adult. But I guess maybe you do, yeah. A middle-aged adult movie? Yeah, it's like a yeah, like a like a new adult movie. What what is that genre called now? They're trying to do like a instead of a young adult it's like a new adult, like it's in between adult and young adult. This is like a new adult movie. <laughs> it's been around, but it's not old yet. <laughs> Still doesn't quite understand taxes. Yeah. yeah. Or... It's had a quarter life crisis, but it's okay now. It's steady. It's got, it finally has a mortgage <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Got it. <laughs> So real quick, we're going to give you a brief summary on the story um, just to catch you up or if you are totally unfamiliar with Misery. Uh, so Misery is about a writer named Paul Sheldon. He is a popular author of a romantic book series, and he is in a he's seriously injured in a car accident in the middle of nowhere, and he wakes up in Annie Wilkes' cabin in the woods. She is his number one fan, and Paul quickly realizes there's something off about his nurse, and if he's going to survive or escape, he's going to have to figure out how to outsmart and overpower her. And it is spooky. Nah, I guess not spooky, but definitely a thriller. Definitely suspenseful. Definitely a thriller. Yeah. Uh, So, David, what was your first experience with Misery, the movie or the book? Well, I have always 
had an affinity to Stephen King. I just like yes. his spooky nature. I just mm-hmm. love it. Uh, but it, funny enough, because I tried to unlock the deep memories of David Wenger to try to understand what was my first memory of misery. And my first memory of misery, I think, and I have no confirmation on this. I just have to like think in my mind, but I think it was the Simpsons who made like a misery joke in an episode or an itchy and scratchy show. Yeah. And that is my first experience to misery. That probably sounds about about right. I wouldn't be shocked if that was my first interaction with it. It was, you know, I was super young when this movie came out, but I knew the name Kathy Bates because of her role in this film. And so I like vaguely knew what it was. I knew it was like a serial killer thriller movie. Um, I knew that it was about a writer trapped in a cabin and that's about it. Uh, But I have not, this is, I think the first full fledged book I've read by Stephen King. Wait, seriously? Yeah, I've read some of his short stories, and I think I've read parts of his books. I don't think I've ever finished a book of his. So this is my very first step into Stephen King. That is crazy. I thought it was like required that most people who read books read a Stephen King book. No, horror is definitely not my genre at all. I actually read uh, Joe Hill's recent book, the Nosferatu book, uh, that... That's Stephen King's son. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And uh, it was all of the spooky and the horror. And it was a good <laughs> book, but it was not a book that I would like. Like if I fully knew the experience of the book before I read it, I don't think I would have read it. <laughs> like that's the fun. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, like Misery, and we'll we'll get into it, Misery felt different for me. Thrillers always kind of catch me a little bit better than a horror will, um, just because the tension between what's going to happen or what I don't want to have happen is more exciting than some of the gore and grossness that comes with horror. It's not all gore and gross. I mean, to be honest, all of, of gross. Stephen it's King's, a lot of, gross. A lot of Stephen King's best books are kind of a mix of the two yeah where you know some of the gore and grossness is just meant to be like this visceral slap in the face for you to look at the book and be like blah, blah. yeah which blah. this book definitely has in it this, this book definitely has yeah. uh but then is interspersed uh, with that those like thriller plot elements to kind of keep you hooked in yeah yeah but anyway we're already talking about it so amanda give me some book facts Yeah, I thought the book facts for this was super interesting. Uh, Misery was a huge departure for King because at the time when he published this in 87, uh, first of all, it is one of three books that he published that year, which is insane. He was on four book tours in the year of 87 um, because he was also doing promotions for It, which was published the year before. So he promoted four books in a single year, which is crazy. This man is insane. Have you ever well, read his like on writing book? I think yes. that's like also required by most people. It may have a little bit to do with a cocaine addiction that he was dealing with. Oh, at yeah. The time. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and this book, he's been very open about it in his memoir that this book came from him dealing with his cocaine addiction. Uh, So a lot of the themes in the book um, 
are surrounded with that. Uh, Kathy Bates, he says, is not Kathy Bates. Oh my gosh, I I like can't separate them sometimes. <laughs> in my mind. Uh, not Kathy Bates, who is amazing. She has not tormented Stephen King in any way. Um, that we know Annie, of. That we know of. But Annie Wilkes, he's quoted as calling Annie Wilkes his addiction, like basically a representation of his addiction that was keeping him trapped. Um, and the quote, the quote, which I thought was really good, I wrote it down. Uh, he said, Annie was my drug problem and she was my number one fan. God, she never wanted me to leave. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's definitely, you can definitely tell that's where this book came from. Um, and then one of his other inspirations for misery was the fan reaction and rejection of his 1984 novel, The Eyes of the Dragon, uh, because fans didn't like that it was such a heavy fantasy book and not in horror. Um, and so in the same way, in the author, the main character of Misery, Paul Sheldon, is dealing with the fact that he wants to break out of this genre hole that his fans are keeping him in and try something new. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. I have never heard of Eyes of Dragon. I have As never a heard of Stephen King fan, too. I have never heard of that book. So I get it. I get it. I honestly didn't know that Stephen King did stuff outside of horror. So there's that. Uh, so Misery won the first Bram Stoker Award for a novel in 1987 when it was published. And it was nominated for the 1988 World Fantasy Award book for Best Novel. Uh, I'm so realizing well now. Received. I'm realizing now. That's kind of ironic that it's the World Fantasy Award. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yeah. Poor yeah. Stephen. I know. Poor Stephen. Uh, so it was also adapted into a theatrical production starring Laurie Metcalf and Bruce Willis in 2015. Uh, and then on television, it was uh, the story of Annie Wilkes is used in the second season of Castle Rock, which is a show that goes through kind of the Stephen King books in its universe. Uh, and so Annie Wilkes in that is played by Lizzie Kaplan, who I love and is tempting me to watch the show now. Yeah, you sent me that trailer, and boy, okay. she looks she looks terrifying. She looks terrifying. It's the only time I've wanted is, to watch Castle Rock. She is really channeling Kathy Bates in a real way, and I'm very impressed. I am very about it. So that yeah. might be something we visit in the future. Yeah. Uh, do you got some movie facts for us? Yeah, let's go over some movie facts. So speaking of Mr. Bruce Willis, he is one of every single male actor in all of Hollywood that was asked <laughs> to play Paul Shel Sheldon for this movie. And okay? was like, Would you like pass. to hear the list? Yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> so here are the uh, type of what if people that could have had this role. It is mm -hmm. Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Morgan Freeman, Mel Gibson, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, William Hurt. And in parentheses, it says twice. So apparently they really wanted yeah. William Hurt. Yeah. Kevin Klein, Al Pacino, Robert Redford, Denzel Washington, and Bruce Willis. Yeah. Okay. That's of insane. that list. Of that list, who would you have really wanted to play? Paul. I think it's the one who got the uh, stage play. I I would have loved to see Bruce Willis. I think he plays like I look yeah. at some performances that he's had where he has doesn't have to be a tough guy. And I think he mm -hmm. would have actually played this role perfectly. I don't know, because I, I may be persuaded a little bit because the reviews of the theatrical production were very negative on Bruce. Ooh, didn't look those up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would actually really have loved it if um, hmm, from that list, I feel like, to be honest, Mel Gibson would have been really interesting in that role. Um, or 
I would have really wanted Morgan Freeman. I feel like Morgan Freeman would have killed I think it. Morgan Frieden, Freeman, my my second pick is actually Robert De Niro. I think he really? would have killed that too. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about Paul and his performance in the movie specifically. Uh, Paul's character needs to be both like believably tough and absolutely pitiful at the same time. Yes. And so it it requires like a huge range that I'm not quite sure we got in the movie. Um, but again, we could talk about that in our spoiler yeah. section. Yeah, and I think uh this role was really toxic for a lot of actors because they mm-hmm. saw the star of the show as Annie Wilkes. So yeah. almost nobody wanted to touch this. And nobody yeah. really enjoyed the screenplay for this. So a lot of people kind of stayed away from the role. Well, uh, I think, too, before that, Rob Reiner had only done, like, comedies. This was his first, like, horror movie, wasn't it? Yep. Rob Reiner, yeah. this is his first horror movie. Uh, he studied a lot of Hitchcock uh, films to try to get into the brain. People even said on set, he was like, what would Hitchcock do? Trying to like psych himself up before <laughs> certain shots. I uh, love because this Rob movie Wa- is uh, kind of hard to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rob Reiner. He's he's really funny, so it's yeah. very interesting to see him in this kind of movie. I have I'm always surprised by how much affection I have for him whenever I hear stories about like the way he works with people. Yeah, he's a funny dude. He's a yeah. funny dude. He's definitely a funny dude. Uh, Stephen King was initially reluctant to sell the film rights to this. It was actually not on the market for a bit, and people were very surprised, especially after films like Stand By Me did really, really well. Uh, and he only sold it to Rob Reiner because of Stand By Me. Um mm. He's just very lucky to, to sell his rights back then because he didn't think people could hit the vision because it's a very personal novel. In my opinion, I would say it's like a crapshoot on most Stephen King adaptations on whether or not they do it right. So I kind of get that. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Kathy Bates, who played the role of Annie, won uh, the first Oscar for a woman in a horror or thriller movie. Uh, Which for she best actress. fully deserves because she is she is giving it her all in this. 100% Kathy Bates is amazing. So yeah. she very well deserved won this uh, Oscar. So guys, we're doing something new. We're splitting this up into a spoiler free and spoiler section from now mm-hmm. on. So right now we're going to just sort of talk first about some of our spoiler free impressions and then we'll let you know when we transition over. But Amanda, yeah, since this is your first Stephen King book you've read, a mm-hmm. spooky book that I forced you to read, what yes. did you think about the story? I was surprised that I was fully ready to curse you halfway through this book. Yes. And curse the fact that I had forced you to read Little Women. And like your experience with Little Women, I grew to love this book. It is it is very, very good. It is very well crafted. Um, the thriller aspect of it, everything is tense. Like he attempts Paul attempts to escape Annie's cabin multiple times and based on where i was in the book i was like oh paul you ain't getting out of here <laughs> anytime soon we are only like 40 percent of the way into this thing I <laughs> there's the no way same thing. <laughs> and there were times where i cheated because i literally i just had to find out whether or not she was going to show up unexpectedly so i would like <laughs> and like the chapters are very short in the way it's written 
So if he's like taking his sweet time looking at stuff around her cabin and he's like, did, was that a car? Did I just hear a car? It's no, so I think effective. it was just wind. Yes. And I had to like flip ahead a couple pages and be like, okay, does she show up and just murder him right now? I just have to know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. even though the book, uh, um, like, you know, Paul has to live to the e- till the end and there mm-hmm. has to be some big scene with them. I did the exact same thing where I'm like, okay, is she yeah. coming back? Because this is, this is freaking me out. And those were always yes. the most effective chapters for me. For sure. Where yeah. he's sneaking around and he's trying not to get caught. Yes. And I loved how complicated their relationship was because a lot of stuff is going on a lot of a lot of talks about addiction yes but then on top of it Annie Wilkes is a fan and Paul is a creator and so they actually have a lot of conversations between about writing and about what makes a good story what makes it effective whether or not something is a cheat just because he wants to get to the next thing and i thought that was super super interesting that not only is it this strange manipulative prisoner relationship that they have but they're also at the same time having a conversation about fandom which is a topic very relevant to today I mean, we did do like a three hour recording of a Star Wars movie. So I think so. (laughs) Yes, a little bit. (laughs) A little Uh, bit. But no, I thought Annie was a great villain. I thought Paul was always very, a very interesting protagonist because he's not, especially in the book, he's not entirely faultless. Like he's not like a perfect victim necessarily. He's Mm -hmm. definitely got his. His, he does not deserve what happens to him in Annie's cabin at all, but he's definitely not like a good guy necessarily. No, and it makes it very interesting. Yeah. How about you? How did you, you finally got to tackle misery. How'd you like it? Yeah, I can kind of see why this is a Stephen King classic now. I don't know why it took yeah. me as long as it has to read this particular story. Uh, for me, like my most uh, surprised. Uh, part about this book was really its themes about dependencies and addictions. Because I think, yes, mm-hmm. it's about fan theory, but especially understanding where Stephen King was when he wrote these or uh, this book. It's really, whether it's like drugs or media, it just feels like this story is taking an in-depth look of what you turn into when you have that sort of addiction. Whether yeah. that's Annie with the misery story or it's Paul Sheldon with these drugs that he gets addicted to is just really engaging. Well, on top of that, he because he does get addicted to the drugs that Annie gives him to get over his car accident. Uh, But then he also hints that beforehand he was kind of an alcoholic. Like he talks quite a bit about his dependency on drinking and being hung over a ton and blacking out and not remembering some things. And then there's a whole discussion about writing being an addiction as well. So he talks about kind of going with through withdrawal whenever he finishes something. He talks about the need to keep writing in order to get the story done. Um, the like l- the allure of like what's next in his story. And so he he talks a lot about like there's tons of references to addiction throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just sort of a page. Or or from life to page sort of experience, because I think Stephen mm-hmm. King was kind of uh, pulling from his own experiences there. Uh, yeah. We're already kind of discussing some themes of the book. So let's kind of talk about uh, the book rendition of the story. What did you enjoy particularly about the book? I 
loved Annie Wilkes. She is such a good villain. Yeah. She she is terrifying. She's manipulative. She's so smart. And in the beginning, you assume she's pretty much off her rocker. And then I don't think this is a huge spoiler. You find out that she is a serial killer, essentially. And it is every single reveal of learning more about who Annie is and her moods and her history is super scary. I think she's one of the most effective and interesting and complex villains I have ever read about. Yeah, and what hit me is how like weirdly relatable she is. Yes. Like <laughs> I didn't maybe that's just because she had like sort of this split personality between mm-hmm. anger and like this weird kindness to her, but it made yeah. the relationship between her and Paul have this either like sibling or or like motherly relationship that I mean at towards the end of the novel even he starts to depend on a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's she is such a complicated character because she's unpredictable, she's unstable, she's really, really smart, and you you yeah. just never know how you feel about her, even towards the end. It's just yeah. really complicated. Yeah, part of you wants to see – because Annie is very interesting. She has moments where she's kind, where she's trying very hard to like keep herself under control, and – I wouldn't I wouldn't say she's likable necessarily because you're always yeah. suspicious of her kindness, but you it's hard not to wonder if she would have gotten on the right kind of medication and gotten the help she needed pretty exactly. early on if she would have been a completely different person with a completely different history and would have been able to settle down and not yeah. murder a lot of people <laughs> and not murder a bunch of people. Uh and I think the horror elements of this book it has it doesn't have a ton of like gore necessarily or big killings or any of that the book the book i mean for you compared to maybe other stephen king type (laughs) horror books this is definitely on the lower end but i think the ones that they do have are so visceral and there's like one particular one that kind of hit me very early on in the novel that I just could not get out of my head and I started gagging. And even when I think about it now, I gag a little bit. So there's it, like, yeah, there's a good so mix effective. between, yeah, there's a good mix between stuff that's gross, um, murder wise and like horror wise, and then stuff that's like body horror, where like things are happening to Paul's body that are just gross in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like there's two types of horror at play. And I think he has, like King has quite a bit of restraint in both of them, which make it very effective. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So how did you like the movie? Did you, question, did you read the book first or did you watch the movie first? I am now for the end of time going to read the book and then watch the movie. Because if I find out I hate the story after watching the (laughs) movie, it makes the book so much worse. That's fair. I find it, I have been doing that. So I've been reading the book first. And I find it a little bit easier to to notice the differences between the two when I do that. Exactly. But I yeah. I will say this was while reading the book, I wanted to actually stop and just like watch the movie almost like to just be like, OK, what happens at the end? It was yeah, it was one of those types of books, which is why the movie. 
I was a little bit disappointed by. I think Mm -hmm. it is very much a product of its time. Uh, I think, of course, the biggest plus for this movie and what most people remember it and what kind of carries it, in my opinion, is Kathy Bates' performance. She's so good. Yeah, there is um, a part pretty early on in the book where I think they do a pretty good job at actually like not showing that anything's like creepy about her. Like you have small suspicions, but she doesn't seem outright uh, sadistic (laughs) very early on. And there's this turn uh, very early on in the movie where she just kind of explodes and Mm -hmm. Kathy Bates like absolutely crushes it. Like, she fills in some of the blanks uh, that Stephen King left for her, uh, and I I absolutely love it. She she very well deservedly got this Oscar. Yeah, yeah. You could – she is giving – yeah, she's giving so much in every scene that she's in, and – I like I I knew what Kathy Bates looked like. I knew what she looked like in this movie because I've seen like stills from it. And so when I was reading the book, I was imagining her as Annie Wilkes the whole time. Yeah, it's really hard to get her out of your head once you see Kathy Bates performances. I like you. I was a little bit disappointed by the movie just because it's not nearly as tense or scary as the book. And I know that a lot of people like this is a well-loved movie and well-regarded movie. Um, and I could see why there are some really great scenes in it, but in the movie, Paul is a little bit smarter and healthier. <laughs> so it's a little bit more believable when he goes toe to toe with Annie in the book. He's not, he's basically wasting away. And so the ending is very tense because you really don't know how it's, it's going to come about where in the movie, I, I kind of never doubted that, that, you know, James can was going to be all right. Yeah, they make like fundamental changes to Paul Sheldon's character, which I mm-hmm. sort of get why some people might have been turned off by the screenplay yeah. of this movie. Uh, but I also think, and maybe this is sort of a larger problem with this story in general, it is really hard to shoot a movie that mostly takes place in one room. It's literally a single room. Yeah, it's a single room. Yeah. Uh, and they have different additions to the movie that they don't have in the book to kind of cut some of that monotony out. Yeah, but when like you're not the, living the subplot in Paul Sheldon's of the head, sheriff. it's hard. Ugh, the, there's a the whole subplot <laughs> to this to this nice mustached sheriff. Yeah, that seems like a completely different movie to me. <laughs> it does. I swear, but I did get like the very few genuine chuckles in this movie came from the sheriff and his wife who's also his deputy so yeah we'll get into those (laughs) i really yeah we'll talk more in the spoiler section some of that but it i wasn't buying any of the sheriff scenes i'll be honest (laughs) yeah i don't blame you (laughs) uh the one thing that i think the movie did really well in at least getting me to gag a little bit is uh, in the book, you know, I tried to imagine how disgusting Paul Sheldon's legs were. Ugh, they were but here's the thing. I I don't I don't know what nasty feet look like because yeah. I don't like looking at nasty feet. This movie had some really nasty feet, guys. This, yeah. Some like purple, swollen, gross feet. Absolutely the worst. It's it's absolutely disgusting. And of course, they have a very iconic scene in this movie, including feet um, that I'm that pretty much made this movie 
what it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So that concludes our spoiler-free discussion. So David, would you recommend that people read this book? 100%. I think this is possibly Stephen King's best book. I think so. I'm really trying to think of like one I prefer more than this, but I think in terms of uh, like character and themes, I think this might be his strongest book. Great. I don't have to read any more Stephen King now. <laughs> uh, no, we will definitely. He Dang is a plethora <laughs> of content for this podcast. That's very true. There have been quite a few adaptations. Uh, I would agree. I think anybody who likes thriller, this should definitely be on their list. This is such a successful thriller. I sped through this book and I was so scared every time I turned the page, but in like a fun way, not in like a gross pet cemetery way. Yeah. So Amanda, would mm-hmm. you recommend watching this movie? I think so. I think if you're doing it like we did to compare it directly to the book, I think it's going to be hard not to be disappointed. Uh, just because Kath, I almost did it again. Annie Wilkes is ah. such a <laughs> Annie Wilkes is such a rich character, and she does not quite translate to the screen as well. I think she would need probably like a mini series to do her justice. Uh, but Kathy Bates does a great job still in her performance. Um, I think it would be a very fun movie to watch with a group of friends who want to hang out and be a little bit scared for the night. I would say for people who enjoy horror, maybe Mm -hmm. don't enjoy like gory horror or... Yeah, this is definitely not a gory horror movie. This is not gory horror movie. But for me, I mean, one thing I didn't mention when talking about the movie is this movie is only like 100 minutes long. This movie seeds by. And I would say unless you're like a fervent Stephen King fan or if you just want like light little spooks... Um, watch this movie, but I really don't think this movie has aged very well. I think it's uh, okay. I think that Kathy Bates' performance is the only reason to watch this movie. Yeah. And if you want anything out of this movie, I would say wait until they pr- m- probably redo this movie again. They will probably they definitely wouldn't. redo it, yeah. They will 100% redo this. So our recommendation is movie, maybe, book, an absolute must. Absolutely. Yes. Why have you not? I can't believe this is your only Stephen King book. (laughs) We will be doing more. I can promise you that. Okay, great. (laughs) And the next one will be extra spooky. Well, I hope that you look forward to reading such long, 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 old, old books in return. No. (laughs) All right. Let's let's get to our spoiler section. Okay. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Let's talk spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Get your energy up, dude. (laughs) I'm just laughing. You fall asleep. (laughs) I'm just, okay, the audience doesn't see you just turn into like a cheerleader there. And it was so I'm trying to get pumped. Time to get P-U-M-P-E-D. Did you just forget how to spell pumped halfway through your chance? 
I believe. I okay, the, I my don't favorite part spell of spell chant a lot of my, things. My favorite part of that is that you did that to make fun of me, and like David does, he instead made fun of himself in the best way he could. <laughs> Let's stop talking about being hoisted on our own petards here. All right, <laughs> get hoisted, dude. No, no, no. All right, let's let's finally talk about (laughs) most jarring and surprising changes. Yeah. What are your most jarring, surprising changes? So I think the biggest thing for me, and it is something that I loved about the book and I did not like about the movie, and that is a simple change in like the theming that switched up Paul Sheldon's character and what this uh, this story is all about. Yeah. So he was he was way too put together in this movie. He's way too put together. He pretty much has he has flaws. Like he seems like a jerk of a person, but he doesn't kind really of. have any character flaws. Yeah. He's sort of just like the he's supposed to be the person the audience lives in wanting to escape. The problem is is this book or this story was never about that. This story is about addiction and dependencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's about crazy fandom, and that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, some changes that they made that completely bugged me to no end so with paul sheldon's character he develops an addiction to painkillers like within like the first like three pages this is established very very quickly there's even like a note at the start of the book that addresses painkillers okay it's a major component of this story Mm -hmm. and they just got rid of it he still steals pills but he steals pills to try to kill her he doesn't still steal pills because he's addicted to them Yes, which is a very big deal because uh, Annie leaves him at one point when she gets when she gets very mad when she finds out that he has killed her favorite main character in his latest book release. Um, she injures him and then leaves for days, and he has to get himself painkillers basically just just because he's so addicted to them he's not even thinking about food or water they're a complete second thought to like him getting into the bathroom and getting these pills for himself and it's such a low point for the character that he then like is constantly trying to dig himself out of that hole and it makes for such a more interesting narrative and tension yeah because both characters need something from each Mm -hmm. other Annie needs to understand what happens to misery Mm -hmm. and Paul needs these pills. And because of like this weird codependent relationship is what makes the book so interesting. Whereas in the movie, Annie's just this crazy person. And I think it makes Paul's character less effective. And to a certain extent, it makes Annie's character less effective. Yes, because in the book, Annie is a serial killer who can't kill her victim. And so there's constant tension happening where she is trying to keep herself from losing it in front of him. And Paul is a victim who grows to not only need these painkillers from Annie, but also needs to finish the book that she's forced him to write and like both addictions are are treated very seriously throughout his story yeah and i think annie's character uh is a little bit different in the movie because in the movie she's just sort of a crazed she's not as smart she's also not very smart Yeah. yeah that's probably what bugged me the most is that she's not very smart in the book, she seems like she's only keeping Paul around because she wants misery. And she makes, she says that. She's like, you know, if it wasn't for misery, I would kill you. Yeah. 
I would just straight up kill you because you're causing me more trouble than it's worth. Where in the movie, she's just in love with him, I guess. Yeah. Like she's just obsessed with yeah. him. And I think the the book version is just plain more interesting. Like my favorite chapters in the book were the times when Annie and Paul are talking about Paul's writing and Paul realizes yeah. how smart she is, that she may not like – she didn't go to literary like, – she may not care that much about everything and she may not be like a literary critic. She may not have the right vocabulary, but she talks about the same things that he concerns himself about in his writing. And I think that's such an interesting development between them. And like I said, it makes their it makes their relationship just a hundred times more interesting. It also, I think, affects the ending a lot differently. Like I can they completely changed, yeah. I guess not completely, they changed the ending quite a bit. Where in the book, uh so in the movie, Paul publishes the book that Annie burns in the beginning of their story together. Um, in the beginning, Paul has just finished his first novel that's departure from his like romance series. And he thinks it's the book that's going to make him be taken seriously in the critical world. And she, mm-hmm. ma- she makes him burn the only copy. And then uh, after he escapes, he rewrites it with before it was, it was untitled and now it's titled. And he makes a comment that this book was written just for him. And it's, it's, been critically received really well and that's the end of the story and there's like a hint that like annie wilkes is still with him always in the book though um he actually rescues the manuscript he doesn't burn the misery manuscript that annie has made him write in the cabin he rest he burns other papers but he rescues that manuscript and publishes it and it is the best thing he has ever written and he uh-huh. struggles with that so much because – and I think it's it's such an interesting choice of kings that even though this hor- he's gone through this horrible experience, this terrible ordeal with addiction and torture and everything, and it has produced the best thing he has ever written. And now that has to be something on – that's part of who he is forever essentially. And that's so poignant in both how King has written this yes. book. Uh, it it makes such good commentary on writing and the creation of yes. art because even though it this is the worst experience he's ever had, it creates one of the best pieces of writing he's ever yeah. made, both for Paul and for Stephen King. I think this is the best book he's written. Yeah. And what does that say about all the things he's gone through with his cocaine and alcohol addiction? Well, yeah. Like, it's it's very there's a lot of parallels that I find interesting between the Paul Sheldon character and Stephen King because mm-hmm. I think they're pretty much the same person. Yeah, hundred percent. Every time I was reading about Paul, I was just imagining him as Stephen King. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I also think it it has a lot of interesting commentary on fandom because this came out before the internet was used to critically yeah. discuss films and books and and TV shows on like a wide platform. And now that we are dealing with not just fandom discussions, but toxic fandom, uh, like Annie Wilkes is like the perfect toxic fan. And it's, that's what makes them so interesting is because she's not always wrong. It's just that she's such an extreme person. And so a lot of her criticism is right, but the things that she's doing around it is crazy. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the book seemed to do nothing in terms of like the tension between the two characters. Yeah. It's just Annie going to him and being like, hey, the way you brought this character back feels cheap. Yes. 
and him writing a way around that that was interesting. And it has nothing to do with the overall plot, but it's such a very good commentary on the creation of art. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the book is a very small but I think very important scene where – when Paul is trying to figure out how to bring this character back to life, Annie is the one that comes up with the idea of this bee sting situation. And he ends up writing the entire story around that and it becomes a huge theme in the book. Whereas in the movie, it's kind of dismissed and Annie is just like in awe. But in the book, Annie is the one that pushes him into this more believable scenario. And it kind of it it kind of surprised me and made me mad it was like a brief flash of madness in the movie where I was like, well, that's not how it <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, I was I was one of those people. Where I was like, the book, <laughs> yeah. the book. Um, the, that is not what the original source meant. That's that is not, not canon. Happened. Yes. <laughs> so I turned, I briefly transformed into Annie Wilkes complaining about uh, the authentic- authenticity of the story. No, I totally agree. It's, it's that... Uh, simple change in their relationship that makes it super interesting. Now, one thing I really want to talk about is the changes that they made in like the actual horror aspects of the film, because I actually don't think Annie Wilkes in the movie is nearly as terrifying as Annie Wilkes in the book. Nowhere close, which is saying a lot because Kathy Bates does a great... The all the jump scares from the movie came straight from just like a straight pan into Kathy Bates's face. They legitimately made me jump. So kudos to her, but it is not she is not nearly as gruesome and gory in the movie as she is in the book. Well, let me ask you this: What was the most visceral part of the book that made you go, "No, no, 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 no"? Um, I mean, I think the foot scene is was really bad. Um. Okay, so there's a there's a lot that happens in the book. I think the part that grossed me out the most funny enough wasn't even that big of a deal. It was a little bit earlier in the book. And um when the detective so there's a whole tension in the book where Paul's car has been totaled off the side of the road and covered in a bunch of snow. And so he's basically watching the weather regularly to see if that snow is going to melt anytime soon. And there, as soon as it does, like a flip kind of a switch kind of gets flipped and Annie becomes much more dangerous because at any time they could be found out. And two detectives come – no, I think it's just one detective at first comes and visits and actually walks into the yeah, house. Yeah, one detective. Yeah. And in the book, Annie stuffs a rag, a pledge that's been used to like clean with pledge down his throat. And he's just trying to make himself not gag on it the entire time. Yeah. And like that, I could like – both smell and taste that experience and it was very difficult for me to like get through that scene that was it was very gross to me there's something about particularly like smell and taste that is so effective at making me so grossed out like it's better than any of the actual like 
horror scenes because for me the most effective part is there's a this part early on in the book where annie has a freak out and throws a bowl of soup into the corner of the Mm -hmm. room she then the next day cleans it up with a rag a couple times and then has the dirty water left over and as a punishment for making her throw the soup she makes paul sheldon drink this water and he does and i had to put i had to put the book down (laughs) there is uh, there's there was something about it that I could yeah. I think it's maybe because everyone has seen a bucket of dirty yes. water okay and that is maybe no one has seen someone's foot getting cut off in it yeah he was uh, it is the grossest thing in the world yeah. and it was at that moment that you realize okay this girl nuts. is absolutely nuts yes absolutely well that wasn't yeah. like so there was that and I. Those moments, like there's a moment in like the basement with rats that I was made me super nervous too. Um, and then there's there are these moments with actual gore where in the book she chops off his leg and cuts off his thumb, and he's basically lost so much blood by the end of the book, he he doesn't think that he's gonna survive. Um, there's this great parallel where the typewriter he's using is losing keys one by one and they're like important ones that you need to write yeah and he equates it with him basically fading away and dying like he is on death's door when he finally gets rescued at the end um but then the moments that really devastated me weren't those like physical moments it was actually the scene where the cops show up and walk there's a, two detectives that show up to Annie's house and walk through her house and Paul is not gagged he is not drugged and he says nothing the whole time nothing and yeah. it was such a devastating scene cuz it feels like he has decided to die and to die with Annie and it's it's so horrible <laughs> it was just so uh-huh. crushing yeah there's and it wasn't necessarily that he felt defeated yes. because at that part of the book he's like I want to kill her it was the fact that he was like no I want to go down with her yeah. I don't care I want to hurt her more than I care about living yeah it was dark <laughs> and at this point of the book too you realize that she's she's almost gained this like superpower of not dying Mm -hmm. like at the end of the book you get all these illusions of her still being alive and for a moment you believe it honestly yeah because they show how she just won't die there's a scene in the book that uh honestly i was shocked that they didn't have in the movie because i thought it was way more effective in terms of like horror than any of the other scenes where a cop shows up paul sheldon yells out for help and throws something out the window and Annie Wilkes comes up behind him, mm-hmm. stabs him with a stake, mm-hmm. just a straight through his chest, yeah. and then runs over him with a lawnmower. Yeah, that was like, rough. <laughs> and it was just like that some kid. was rough. <laughs> and it was at this moment where Paul feels defeated. Like I am only going to hurt more people because she won't die, and she will only have more blood on her hands. You are. S- you are so interested by by Annie Wilkes throughout this book that I found myself being like, is she gonna win in the end? Like I was I would yeah. not have been surprised if she would have won in the end. Neither would yeah. have I. Like it's uh all that to say is that the book is so much more effective yeah. at 
Annie Wilkes' character Definitely. at their rela- her relationship with Paul, the interplay between them, and like how she is crafted as a villain. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's she might be one of my favorite villains ever because she is so complicated, and I could think yeah. about her actions of why she did things for yeah the scene in the book where paul is going through her memory lane scrapbook is so scary because you realize just how dangerous she is and how much she's actually gotten away with throughout her life where she started murdering when she was very young and has kept murdering and gotten away with it because she has she has saved the obituaries of every person that she's killed and it's so scary (laughs) And then at the very end is an article about Paul and he freaks out because, which I don't know why he's surprised, but yeah, it's, it was very scary. It was very effective. Gosh, I could, we could talk about all the reasons why Annie is creepy yeah, for another I hour know, she's and a so half, great. I think. Uh, so would you change the story in any way now that we've talked about how great it is? I think... So here's the thing. Changing the book story, I would not. I don't think there's anything in the book I would honestly remix or change. I think there are maybe some slower parts, mostly when he's writing or you see the writings from the Misery book. Yeah. I think those can be a little bit boring, but there isn't any major changes that I would Yeah. I can see why King included them. Um, the like excerpts that he was writing for the misery books, especially like the first two intros you get. I don't know that yeah. we needed all of the excerpts throughout the book. It like, I, like there was a bunch of times where I saw that it was, it's like a different font in the book. So I skipped them and then went back and reread them later because I wanted to know how the scene ended. Um, but they were okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about nitpicks. Yeah. Amanda, mm-hmm. what are your nitpicks? Um, yeah. Okay. So I separated them out because I feel like the book and movie story are very different. Yeah. In my book nitpick was how weird the Misery Return excerpts were. They were also – they had like <laughs> – and this is probably a, 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 a product of the times, but there is a African African character who oh is – not portrayed very sensitively and i there it made me wish that those parts were just gone <laughs> so that's I really my nitpick. hope we kind of get past like doing something maybe i just don't like is sort of like accent or like dialect yes uh writing i never yeah. it always sounds racist it always whenever sounds racist. i read it i'm like this sounds racist and it's very unnecessary <laughs> Like I, I'm like this is just making it harder to read. Yes. This is just this is just bad. I just hope we get rid of it in general. Yeah. I think there's better ways of portraying accents. It just always sounds bad. Yes, it always sounds bad. Strangely racist, and um, yeah, I feel like it made me suspicious that King had this idea for this ridiculous story, and he didn't. It was so far out of what he was used to writing. He was like, I'm just going to stuff it into this other book and I'll get away with it. And it was fine. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things while like reading the book, I realized is like, I would not like Paul Sheldon as a writer. Like, I think the misery books are something I would never read. And then, oh my gosh, I got to find the book. Okay, maybe I could find this quote real quick. But he has a, a book he's writing in the book called 
Fast Cars. Yeah. It's supposed to be a critically acclaimed Terrible book. title. And he, oh my gosh, maybe I could find it real okay. quick. But he he talks about the opening line of Fast Cars, and I started laughing because it's horrible. It's yeah. It is such, yeah, I'm not going to look through the, this book, but it is so, it's so bad. Yeah. And I'm like, this book sucks. Yeah, it's about like some kid in the slums who steals cars so that's cool it, the quote is something like uh you know i'm i'm slow to change but i'm quick on the yeah it's terrible it's really like bad yeah it's, it's horrible <laughs> it's so bad so that was my that's Ugh. my book nit, nitpick my movie nitpick um is quite a bit funnier i it's all about the sheriff and his deputy wife. So there is this. How have we not talked about the sheriff yet? The sheriff is the most buck wild character. He is a very, he is a very um, Rob he is Reiner in a insertion. Movie. Yes, yeah, he's definitely in a different movie. So it's like this goofy handlebar mustache, old sheriff, like the oldest of olds. And he is pretty good at his job. So he notices the car crash. He's doing helicopter drive-bys um, to try and find this missing author. There's this hilarious scene where he runs into Annie Wilkes outside the sheriff's office. And he's like, hmm. And then he he has read all of the misery books. And he wrote down a quote. He repeated it like eight times so the audience knew it was important. He grabs a note card with that quote on it. And then he goes to the library to start doing research on Annie Wilkes. He finds her news clipping from when she was on trial for murder when she was on a, a head nurse at a maternity ward. A bunch of children were getting killed, were dying. So she was under investigation and she has quoted the exact same quote from the book that he wrote <laughs> down. And just in case you miss the reference, he puts the note card right next to her face and it made me <laughs> laugh so hard. It was such a ridiculous like audience. Are you paying attention? Dummies? This is the thing. <laughs> and not only is it a ridiculous leap in logic for this man to randomly be suspicious of Annie Wilkes, but then to somehow in like the 20 books that Paul has is shown to have written in this movie, that that one quote he would happen to write down and Kathy Bates or Kathy Bates, Annie Wilkes would happen to have said during her trial. Isn't that wild? <laughs> It's so ridiculous that from that he deduces like, oh, she must have done mm -hmm. it. Where in the book, they even give like a very, they give an even simpler connection. Where in the book, she has a picture with her and the misery books. Why did the movie have to add this stupid quote? It's like yeah. much easier for someone to be like, huh, interesting. She has the misery books. I think... I think it's just because they wanted the stupid sheriff to have some wild plan where he like like he is in just a completely different movie. It okay? also drives me nuts that he walks through her entire house except for the basement, which is like an entire floor and like the one place you would keep a body <laughs> if you were keeping a body somewhere. <laughs> Okay, actually, no. My least favorite part about that scene is there's a part where, like, they look at each other because she's going to go make him hot cocoa yeah. and he wants to sneak yeah. around. Uh, and she goes into the kitchen and then he very sneakily, like, tries to go up the stairs, but he isn't, like, 
being very sneaky about it, he literally runs up the stairs and it's like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like he has the loud, and it's like and an he's old very house. clearly yeah. going yeah. upstairs. <laughs> I'm like, you are not sneaky, not my all. dude. You should have taken your shoes no. off at the very yeah. least. So my overall nitpick, I know that we usually only do like one or two of these. My overall nitpick so of nitpicks. this of the story that I loved is it is wild to me that so many people knew who this author was. <laughs> It's almost like Stephen King patting himself yes. on his own yes. back, being like, everyone knows who I am. Everyone familiar with Stephen King. Yes, everyone is familiar with Stephen King. Nobody is familiar with, like, a romance series writer. Yeah. I mean, this was written in, like, a different time where there was not Netflix, so maybe no, that was a big thing. I don't thing. think so, dude. <laughs> I don't. I don't no, think so. Yeah. I think maybe but like a lot of people are like paul sheldon oh paul sheldon the guy who wrote all those books like that happens way too many times to be believable well i think it was supposed to be a parallel i mean the modern day parallel is twilight i think okay but to be fair i have already forgotten the author of twilight i know stephanie meyer's name so that's it that's it and i guess if she was kidnapped everybody would know about it (laughs) <laughs> well nowadays nowadays uh one my nitpick kind of spawns from your nitpick uh-huh. and that is who the heck knows the face of authors yeah. okay nobody like i know the face of stephen king and joe hill and i think that's literally it and that's just because i have consumed so much of their media i know jk rowling and george R. R. martin's face and that's probably okay, that's it. fair that too yeah <laughs> And they're like yeah, millionaires, so. <laughs> Who the heck goes to the back of the book and looks at the little picture of the author and is able to put two yeah. and two together? No. Nobody. Nobody. So it's completely wild to me that everyone is like, oh, that's Paul Sheldon. It's like, no, yeah. no one knows you, dude. Yeah. Uh, so I have a small fan theory. Yeah, I saw this fan theory. Let me uh, let me hear your justification for this fan theory. Okay, I have very little ground to stand on for this fan theory. Okay, but okay. my first reaction to when I so I did not do any like homework on the movie. I just usually just dive straight into the movie and then look stuff up as I'm watching it. Um, my very first reaction to seeing uh, who was playing Paul Sheldon was, "Oh, hey, it's the dad from Elf." <laughs> Yeah, and James I kid me, yeah. I kid you not. He is playing the exact same character in literally the like, exact same character. Beat for beat, he is the exact same character and those movies are like 20 years apart, which is wild to me. He also, good for him, aged very well. He looks almost exactly the same as he did in this movie. I mean, <laughs> if that age is old, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think that's like, he hasn't aged at all. Well, I he mean, looked, he old? looked old in 1990. He still looked old <laughs> in 2010 when Elf came out or whatever. <laughs> what a compliment! Yeah, um, you've always looked old. <laughs> uh, so my fan theory is that they are essentially the same. Walter Hobbs from Elf is the grown-up version of Paul Sheldon. It is his new identity after he escaped Annie Wilkes but cannot escape the nightmares of Annie Wilkes that he can no longer write again and he has dedicated himself to ripping off nuns in the publishing industry instead. And then he, he just loses it at one point of his life 
and breaks down and has this ridiculous hallucination about a son who is Will Farrell in tights, fully grown, 40 years old, who shows up on his doorstep and says that he is his dad so that he can end his life in a fantastical way. And fully, it's wait a second. Wilkes. Are you trying to say the movie of Elf is just an illusion? Hundred uh, percent, yes. Of Paul Sheldon's broken Absolutely, mind, yes. Okay, <laughs> you are changing two movies now. Uh, like a movie and a half, I would say. Like a movie and yeah. a half. I see no fault in it. <laughs> you are sense. fully on board. <laughs> well, at the end of the movie, he keeps seeing Kathy Bates yeah. come back and want to chop yep. him up. So it is only the beginning uh, of I his mean, hallucinations. Maybe he saw Will Ferrell in anything and thought, you know what? That's my son. That uh, Maybe he saw Anchorman and was like, you know what? That man is my yes. son. That's my son. Yep. Anything to get Kathy Bates out of his head. Yeah. These are the only two movies that I've seen James Cannon, I think. So it's going to be very hard to see him as anything else but Paul Sheldon and then the hallucinating Paul Sheldon from Elf for the rest of my life. Any other last minute so- thoughts you want to throw in? Back yeah, in Paul Sheldon, one thumb up. James can medium thumb. Uh, Annie Wilkes, all the thumbs. Kathy Bates, all the thumbs. All the thumbs, all guys. Them. You heard it. All the thumbs. Yes. Not two. She has she more. She has so many more. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so that will wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you can get automatically updated when new episodes come out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we are still pretty new. We just put out, this will be our 11th episode, not counting bonus episodes. So if you enjoy anything we talked about in the last hour or so, please leave us a review and tell your friends. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, uh, Amanda makes me read the reviews in whatever the heck she wants to do this week to torture her little brother. So Amanda... What am I doing this week? Yeah, so my original thought was old, in tribute to our favorite part of the movie, uh, would have been old country bumpkin sheriff. But because I've made you do some old people quite a few times in a row, uh, we're going to switch it up and do a tribute to Kathy Bates herself. And I would like you to do it as Annie Wilkes. Okay, okay, I got this. Annie Wilkes on the verge (laughs) of just losing it. Oh my gosh, you're adding more. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did I mean, isn't that how she always is? I am not an Oscar-nominated actress. <laughs> do your best, dude. Do your best. Okay, okay. So this review is from Dimage94. Thanks, Dimage. <laughs> okay, okay. What's the thing she says? cock a yeah. Okay, okay. Honest feedback <laughs> and fun opinions. <laughs> Love listening to these guys. It's fun to hear the book's perspective as I don't read. <laughs> Can't wait for the next episode. <laughs> Cock-a-doody. I don't know. Is that good? <laughs> you were slowly morphing into like very old lady. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's it's, it's rough. passable Listen, for David okay, Beckert, So I do not have the type of range Kathy Bates has. So, guys. I have one. So range. everybody take note. If you leave us a review, make sure you make it very long and filled with as many strange words to make David uh, pronounce as possible. Uh, just for our general enjoyment so yes and if you could as well as writing a review tell a friend because uh that's kind of just how podcasts work we don't really advertise we don't really do any of that we just sort of put things out and hope people listen in our limited free time yes (laughs) 
Yes, our limited free time surrounded by pillows and blanket forts to try to make it sound okay. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at AdaptedPod on all those platforms. You can also send us suggestions on what we're going to talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at AdaptedPod.com. We are actually going to do one that was suggested for us um, by The Real Doofs, which is another movie podcast where a couple of doofs try to guess the plot of a movie that they've never seen before their friend who has seen it, already seen it, which is a fantastic premise for a podcast. <laughs> um, they are our friends on Instagram, and we have a lot of fun going back and forth. So shout out to you guys. We are doing your movie suggestion, book movie suggestion. And we are going to do Jaws, which I am extremely Ooh. excited for. I love Jaws. Another another Spielberg classic. Another Spielberg classic. Um, one that's also kind of a thriller. So that'll be fun to do. So tune in next time to hear how we rate that a- adaptation. And until then, maybe like don't go driving on roads that aren't plowed even in the least bit. You know, maybe just like wait till the roads maybe are plowed. don't drink two bottles of champagne before going into a snowstorm. That would be really Yeah, cool. why did we talk about this? This is Buck <laughs> Wild. What the hell was he doing? Until then, keep your cockadooly mouth shut. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice insult to our audience. Shut, shut up, fans. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep your mouths open. <laughs> keep your mouth shut. Don't tell your friends about us. Oh, Amanda, we have no fans. Oh, fuck. <laughs>